You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Let's hear it for Robin. Robin looks good, doesn't he? Well, I think so. Uh, hey, really quick, I think Robin's going to just honor some moms and stuff toward the end, which is amazing. But I think, can we just give them a round of applause for being who they are? And um, I, I did not have a grid for motherhood until we had kids, and I've witnessed my own wife navigate that. And so my value for moms just skyrocketed which means my value for my own mother skyrocketed for all the unseen that she put up with over the years. And so uh, moms really are the champion of the household. They, they're the glue that make it happen and really are the backbone of so many spaces. So uh, we honor you, we love you, and thank you for being moms. Um, dads are great too, just not as good as moms. So. Um, that being said, since Robin's going to honor mothers at the end, I'm off the hook of doing a Mother's Day message. Uh, I had one plan because it's an expert field of mine, um, but I get to kind of go off course a little bit and keep with the theme of following Jesus. And um, I want to pray us into that just really quickly, and then we'll dive in. Father, um, God, we thank you that you are someone who we can follow, that you're not so distant, um, that we can't close the gap. And God, I thank you that you're someone who wanted to be followed so much that you came to follow humanity into a condition so that you could pull her up into yours. God, I thank you that you came that close so that we could come as close as we could possibly be with the living God. And Father, I just pray that you open our hearts and our minds this morning as we navigate what it looks like to follow you in deeper places. And we trust you. We love you. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter number four. I want to dive in just to um, a couple thoughts, and I, I certainly won't get through everything I want to this morning. Um, but I want to leave some things on the table for us to think about. But I want to start with this passage. I think Robin covered it last week. I thought it was a beautiful message. Um, And I want to kind of springboard from that calling moment here in Matthew 4, verse 18. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon Peter um, and Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And here's Jesus. He says, Come follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nest. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father. I just think that's a funny verse. They left their father and followed him. Imagine this this crazy moment, right? And I think there's probably multiple layers here. One is Jesus obviously had some level of charisma, maybe. Um, but he obviously had a massive level of anointing. Imagine if the very voice that created and formed the world invited you to come and follow him, right? And I think on a deeper level, probably more than these guys realize, the voice of God was piercing the consciousness of man, and something drew them to Jesus in a way that the average person couldn't. But there's also this other element that is fishermen. It wasn't that uncommon to kind of boycott and protest for some kind of uh, rise against the empire. In fact, fish, fishing wasn't the way you got rich in those days. Um, the Romans had claimed the rights of all the waters, and so these guys are fishing, and it's very costly, it's very exhausting, and it's pretty much survival mode all the time. 
Because anything you caught had to be paid a portion of, and even if you didn't catch anything, they still had to pay. And so their life was in this exhausting place and strenuous rhythm um, of just really surviving. And so it probably wasn't that abnormal for people to protest and give up working to feed the taxation of the Romans in opposition to the Romans. It was kind of a common thing, but Jesus comes. And his primary target isn't just to combat the Romans. There's something greater on his life, right? And so these guys give up, and I think it's funny. They just leave their dad in the boat. Imagine being that guy, right? They leave their dad in the boat, and they go and follow Jesus. And what it means to follow Jesus is interesting because it's not a thing that we arrive at. It's a constant journey, right? Because we're going to go on to read a couple things in a moment. But to follow Jesus isn't something that we just automatically do and then we're there. It's something that we're constantly unfolding. But for these guys, it meant a couple things. It meant that they were leaving what they had known to follow what they hadn't, right? They had known how to fish. They knew how to do life that way. It was exhausting. Following Jesus means leaving something that is exhausting to embrace something that is life-giving. They're leaving something that costs them a lot with no return. Following Jesus means we leave things that cost us to embrace a way that bears fruit. And the last is they're leaving survival mode to follow Jesus. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we are desperate to leave a mode of survival to embrace a rhythm where his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And when Jesus invites us into this space of following him, it's always in exchange for something better. But we have to be willing to leave what we've known to embrace what we don't. And that's the journey these guys set on. So it goes on a little bit. I'm going to keep reading Matthew here. It says this, verse 23. Immediately after calling them, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, pause here for a minute, right? He's invited these guys, fishermen, and then immediately they go start preaching the gospel, and Jesus is just casually healing the sick. Now, what's happening is these guys are following Jesus, but they're probably constantly being shocked, right? They haven't seen this necessarily before. They haven't followed someone closely. They haven't bore witness to something like this. And Jesus, right in front of them, invites them to follow and then goes and preaches the gospel and starts healing every kind of disease and sickness among the people. Verse 24, news spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Here's what's interesting. The disciples were following him. They were physically there. They followed him through this journey, but just because they were physically following him doesn't mean that they were always mentally following him, right? There was still this level of mystery and intrigue with Jesus. They're watching him do it. They're in his presence, but you can kind of see this sprinkled throughout the Gospels, how many times Jesus does something and they're intrigued by it and they're just amazed by it, but they're also kind of confused. And later on, they ask Jesus, what were you talking about? And I always think it's a funny scene because Jesus is given a parable. I'm sure they're just like, amen, great, that's great, pastor, you know, good word. And then later, they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. That's most church services, right? 
Um, I'll tell you a quick story. It has nothing to do with the message, but uh, let me share it. I had a friend, and he was one of these, I mean, he's an older guy, but he was just one of these apostolic-like authority guys and probably an unhealthy, you know, slant to that a little bit. But he was just one of those guys who would just mess with people and say whatever he's thinking. And at some point, he got tired of hype church culture, right? And his church had gone kind of into that vein, and they were just amen and scream and run in circles about anything. And so intentionally, one day, he got up, and he just started to preach, like that rhythmic pastor ah, kind of voice thing, and he's in it. Whole church is on their feet. They're like, come on, that's good. You know you, you know the moves, right? They stand up, and they do this number, shake your head. Somebody runs, does a lap. Other people just throw stuff at the stage, and... And here's what he does. The whole church is hyped. You think God's moving. He says, everybody shut up and sit down. I thought, wow. It's encouraging. Because what he did for five minutes was say nothing but gibberish. But the way he presented it got the church hyped up. And so he used it as a moment of correction to say, you have no idea what I'm saying. And I wonder how often the disciples found themselves in that place of, man, that's great, Jesus. What is he talking about? And they're trying to constantly figure him out because even though they had followed him, they weren't always mentally following him. And sometimes following Jesus doesn't mean that I've caught myself up to physically be where he is. It means that all my layers are catching up to be where he is. To follow Jesus means that I'm not just present with him in some ethereal truth and reality, and that is true and it's great. It means that the way that I feel is starting to mimic the way that he feels. The way that I think is starting to be the way that he thinks. It means the way that I act mimics the way that he acts. To follow Jesus means that every single layer is catching up to who he is in us. And this is the journey that the disciples were on, to follow Jesus, but to not always mentally follow Jesus. And I'm emphasizing mentally because I want to just talk about the way that we think uh, for a little bit this morning. The way that we think is so important because even before Jesus called these guys, he was preaching this. It's Matthew 4, 17. He says, from, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent. Everybody knows this word. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It literally means it's within reach, right? And I'm sure you know this, but in case you don't, this Greek word for repent, it just means to think differently, to change the way that you think. So it's so important because the entire message of the kingdom hinges on the way that we think. It leads with this statement of repent, change the way that you think. They didn't just hear repent. They were literally hearing, hey, change the way you're thinking because the kingdom is within your reach. Jesus takes it further later. He says, repent, change the way you think because the kingdom is within you. Isn't that crazy? Which means Jesus is emphasizing that the way that you think is the avenue for what's already true to become reality. And how we think is so important because how Jesus thought about the world was different than everyone else. Jesus saw a lame person and he thought differently about the lame than they did. Jesus saw water and saw it as a sidewalk. Jesus saw the dead and saw life. Jesus saw a girl and said she's just sleeping because the way that he thought was so different. And the way that Jesus thought was the door that allowed the kingdom to come in everyday spaces. 
And so when Jesus says, follow me, he's not just saying, come along for the ride. He's inviting us to catch every layer of who we are up into the space of who he is. So that how we are is how he is. Amen? This is what it means to follow Jesus. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, I don't want to say this because I do tell a lot of stories. Babe, can you hand me that water? Um, these flowers, allergies. Thanks. Um, I tell a lot of stories of my own experience, not because my world revolves around me, even though it does sometimes, but because I do a lot of stupid things and I have an endless well to draw from. And so, um, one of the things we're in the middle of still is finishing an old house and Hopefully, you're on the tail end of that, but years ago, we started this project, and I had to go up into the attic one day and do some work and notice that the ceiling beneath was sagging, okay? I should have brought a prop, but this is, this is the ceiling. It's kind of sagging like this, okay? Um, and I'm just a little bit OCD about certain things, so this was bothering me, Okay? And I'm not the type personality can go and just put like new floors over a sagging floor. I want to fix the sag and then put new floors down because it will always bother me. I won't sleep at night and it's just an, no one wants that, right? And so I decide I'm going to go in the attic and figure out how this is built, how they did what and fix it. And I go up in the attic and they put this big, it's called a strong back beam, but it's this beam that goes and spans all the rafters, has two load points. This is not something you need to write down or remember. Um... And then they hang the uh, ceiling joist from this beam, and it's supposed to hold up the weight. Well, the house was pretty old, and over the years, it started to sag. Um, so I thought, YouTube, right? And so I go on YouTube, and I think, I'm just going to add a couple new boards. I'm going to jack the, the sag out of the ceiling. I'm going to go up into the attic, which was really hot and tight, by the way, and I'm 6'4". It's not the place I like to be. And I go up there with these long 16-foot boards, and I cut them to size, and I bolt them onto the old board while it's jacked in its new position. And I go down, and I unleash the jack, and behold, the ceiling is flat. And I think, my gosh, I've done it. I've done it. What a champion, right? Now, because I have trust issues, a few days later, I didn't trust it. So I'm going to check, right? And so I go up in the attic thinking, man, this thing is just going to last another 50 years. And I look down the beam, and to my just broken heart surprise, not only had the old beam gone back to its saggy position, but it had taken taken the new boards with it. And hours of work down the tubes. Frustrating, right? Now, no one knows that beam is up there. But you see the effects of the beam from below. But the challenge is, adding something new without fixing what is old means it's only a matter of time before the new starts to look like the pattern of the old. And what I didn't realize was there's this thing in construction called board memory. 
And I love this term, but it's called board memory, which means that when the board gets fixed in this position and it's used to that position and it knows that position, it wants to constantly go back to that position. And so not only did it go back, but it took the new stuff to the old place. Can I tell you that you cannot add Jesus to old thinking and expect it to work? Right? Here's what's beautiful about the gospel. We have not just followed Jesus to a point. We've been repositioned with Jesus to a place. But if our thinking doesn't change, it's only a matter of time before the new starts to function like the pattern of the old. And so even though I'm seated in heavenly places, even though, like, come on, these crazy revelations and realities that we sing about and talk about and do Bible studies about, that's all great. But if my thinking, the bridge of my thinking isn't changed, then it can't support what's new. And even though there's this new truth and reality about me, I'll still function like the old without changing the way that I think. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. A journey of changing, not just our being, but the very layers of how we think and how we do life. And Jesus came to model that it can be done a different way. Amen? I don't know about you, but I believe that. And it's easy sometimes when hope is deferred and we get disappointed. It's easy for that to create a sag in our thinking to where we just become hopeless. But I promise you, no matter how many times we have to get back up and remind ourselves that there is the possibility of living this life the way that Jesus modeled for it to be lived, that's part of our job, man. As believers to follow Jesus, it really means getting back up by faith every day and saying, man, Jesus showed us a different way. And I want to think like that because I need his thoughts. Amen. I need the thoughts of Jesus in my life. I need to think differently about my relationships. I need to think about them the way that he does. Yeah. I need to think about uh, sickness the way that Jesus thinks about sickness. I need to think about anxiety or fear and security. I need his thoughts in those spaces. And following Jesus simply means we're invited to partake in his thoughts. In those spaces. A couple facts. These are science from Google. Um, I don't know who said it, but it says the length of time that we give attention to something in life, along with our repetitive thoughts, form our neurological wiring. Repetitive thoughts create connections in the brain that quickly become ironclad. These thoughts move from conscious to unconscious ways of thinking and being. This is important because... Um, sometimes we think that following Jesus and tackling for this, you know, for today, the way that we think has to be an endless chore, but it doesn't. It might be a season, but this is why I love this. And again, this is science, so they know. These thoughts move from conscious to unconscious ways of thinking and being. That is how we act on autopilot. Now, here's what's crazy about that beam in my attic. It didn't get there five minutes after they installed it 60 years ago. But little by little, unnoticed, unintentional, over time, it slowly moved into position. And it went so slow, you would never even know that it's happening. But all of a sudden, 60 years later, some weird tall dude's in the attic, and he finds it in this position, right? Unnoticed, unintentional. But it had been carrying a weight for so long that it wasn't designed to carry that it took its toll. 
And again, thinking I can just add something new to it that would prop it up. Jesus did not come to prop up the old you. Jesus came to make all things new. And in making all things new, it's not just repositioning us with, to sit with him in some uh, place in the heavens, but it's to sit with him in the way that I think in the earth. But it says that these thoughts set us on autopilot, which means if I train the way I think enough, it doesn't have to feel like a chore. Right? It doesn't have to feel like something I'm constantly having to do, but I do have to be intentional. Can I say this? If we have an unintentional thought life, you'll have an unintentional quality of life. Right? Amen? If I don't think about what I'm thinking about. (laughs) And can I also say this? Um, You can't catch every thought that comes into your mind, but you can decide how you're going to think about it and jesus didn't come i think randall says this all the time it might be randall but we'll steal it um jesus didn't come to tell you what to think he came to tell you how to think and everything he's doing when he says follow me and then immediately goes and heals the sick and raises the dead and walks on water he's challenging not just what they think he's challenging how they think Because now they've witnessed something that defies all odds. Now reality is negotiable in their mind. They don't know how he's doing it. They're not sure how to do it themselves. They're trying to probably figure it out. What are the five steps to walk on water? Jesus, would you please write a book? Will you tell me how you raised Lazarus? Like, this is awesome, but Jesus, we want to do it too. But their thinking hadn't changed. And the journey with Jesus was so much more about their thinking and what they were witnessing than it was their performance. Amen. In fact, you'll never fix performance if you don't change the way that we think. That's why, again, the kingdom hinges on repent. Change the way that you think. Change and challenge the way that you think. But these, our house had three things. When we bought it, we fell in love with it because it had this old, like, gone with the wind character. And we love old architecture. Had beautiful crown molding, like dental molding and marble and all these beautiful, like, plaster decorative crown moldings. And we thought, man, let's buy this and restore it. We love bringing old things to life. And um, we ended up tearing everything, (laughs) everything out of the house, which was heartbreaking. But, again, I wouldn't sleep at night if I didn't fix all the sag issues. If I didn't fix the structure, I didn't want to decorate it yet, right? And so we ended up taking this entire house down to the studs. As a walkout basement, you could look up and see out the roof at one point. It was awesome. Open concept, we call it. Um, but if we didn't fix it, it would have driven us crazy. But we fell in love with this house because of the character that it had. And it had this beautiful identity. Uh, the second thing it had, and this is why we tore it out, was a condition, right? It had this thing that drew us, but then it had this condition, And that condition was saggy, for lack of a better term. Um, And the third thing is it had a purpose, and the purpose was for us to live in it, to raise family, to do life in it, to host people, to do our day-to-day, to be our safe place. This was the place that was going to be our sanctuary for life. And so it had character, it had a condition, but that condition would ultimately determine the quality of life we would have in it, because if it fell down, that's not much quality, right? 
And I think so often we have this position in Jesus, but what's holding our new self hostage is this condition. And that condition is how we think, which affects the way that we feel, which affects what we do. Amen? And that's where Jesus wants us to follow him into a space where we're not just seated with him, but I'm consciously seated with him. To be present with him doesn't always mean that I've closed the distance. It means that I've become aware of my surroundings. We're going to look at this right now. Colossians chapter number 3. One of my favorite verses. He speaks a massive truth. I'm going to tell you one more quick story in just a second. But Colossians 3, it says this. It says, since then. Since then. Everybody just close your eyes two seconds here. And just say to yourself, you don't have to say it out, out loud. But just say to yourself, since then. This is a pivot moment. Okay, you can open your eyes. Lock that in because this is the pivot moment where Paul's declaring a massive truth of something that is already true. You understand that the gospel is something that's already true. The good news is just the newspaper that's catching you up to speed. It's bringing the way that you think up to speed with what is already true. Which means the good news is that my thinking doesn't have to be right for my position in Christ to be right. But I might not benefit from my position if my thinking is still broken. Amen? Because even though I have a new self, my new self may still function under the pattern of the old if I'm just trying to prop up the old. If I don't change the way of thinking then nothing will change. But Paul understands this. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And verse 2 says, set your minds on things above. So, in, in other words, you're already here. Now let yourself think about it that way. Let your heart and let your mind catch up. Say it a different way. You've been raised and seated into a new position. Why don't you look around? Come up here and just take it all in. Learn to think about it this way. Learn to feel from this position. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart and your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Since we followed him by his grace, by his mercy, and by the power of the cross, since we have followed him into a position of being seated with him, the invitation is now, let's follow him in the way that we think about it. Can I tell you, I've pastored for 15 years, and still the common problem is identity crisis. And it's from, it, 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 and it's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church one minute or 15 years. It's still the same challenge. That we know these beautiful truths about who we are in Jesus as sons and daughters and then still on a daily basis sometimes forget and find ourselves in this rhythm like fishermen where it's exhausting. It's costing me a lot and I feel like I'm never getting there which means I'm always in survival mode. And can I tell you, there's so much grace for survival mode. But there's also so much anointing not to live there. 
There's so much power just under the influence of the Holy Spirit and in the layers of the gospel that we don't have to live there. And to follow Jesus means I'm exchanging the place that I've allowed myself to sag and settle. I'm exchanging that for the place that you've positioned me in. And it's not always easy, but it certainly is possible. And that's what Paul is writing. Since you've been raised, set your heart and your minds in this reality. Think this way now. Think about it the way that he does. And I love the reality that if you can just imagine that beam, Christ wasn't raised with us, we were raised with him. Which means the newness of who he is is certainly enough to hold and replace all that we are. Amen. So I know that in the eternal sense, I'm never going to sag again as far as who I am. My value as a son will never be lost. It will never be diminished. It will never return to its old position in his mind. But following him means it's coming to my mind. That reality. Yeah. That's what Paul is writing and saying so beautifully. Since you've been raised, look around. And again, we can't add something new to saggy thinking and expect change. You have to change the way that you think about certain things. Um, Romans 12, 2. Everybody knows this. Greatest hits. Bible verse. Because, again, we're catching up here, right? Tell you a really quick story. Um, again, stupid things that I do, but I don't like going to the dentist. Um, and here's why. I don't mind the drilling. I don't mind the work. They numb you. You don't feel it anyway. It's just, I don't know. But somewhere over the years, about, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, I, got, I developed a really bad gag reflex, okay? And so just like holding my mouth open sometimes... Not at the dentist. I'll just gag. And I've researched science. You know, I can't figure it out. In fact, early days of our old church, I used to have to help lead worship. Never doing it again. Um, but we had got to do what you got to do when you're doing that. And sometimes I'd try to throw a Beyonce note in there, right, which is not in, inside here. And so I'd just, you know, ah, and I would gag in the middle of worship because my... Just, I don't know. And so I'd be, I'd just borrow your mic. Uh, I would just be like this and just pull one of those, right? Now, luckily, we were spirit-filled church, so everybody thought God was touching me, right? And so I play, I play it all like, yeah. Oh, yes, Lord. More. You know, and then, and then everybody's doing, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, like it became one of those. But I would just gag really bad. And so going to the dentist, like, I just gagged all the time, Right? And luckily, the dentist told me about this magic blue pill. Um, and you're not supposed to do drugs. But when you're at the dentist, it's totally okay. And so he gives me this pill. And here's the mystery of this thing. I don't know what it's called. Um, but he, he gave it to me. And what it does is it's like it just, it just knocks you out, not in just a sleepy sense, but in a sense that you're so sedated and you don't remember anything. And so it's, it's kind of like a drunk person, not the... Oh, it's uh, Tom's. Go get... Yeah, Tom's. Uh, 
But what would happen is I would go in, be totally in la-la land, get the work done, and I'd just wake up later. Everything's been done. I'm just waking up, right? And so what happened was when I go to the dentist, someone has to drive me. can't drive myself. And what we realized is I have to preface it with anyone driving saying, guys, no matter how normal I seem, don't do anything I say. Take me straight home. And Kara is my witness, because I'll seem totally normal, but I am completely out of my mind. Right? Um, and so a friend one time, and you guys don't know him, I'm not going to use his name, but for the sake of the story, we'll call him Judas. He was going to drive me to the dentist. And I gave him the whole spiel, because I've, I've done this like three times already. I said, listen, dude. It doesn't matter how normal I seem, word for word what I told him, not, no matter how normal I seem, don't listen to me, take me straight home. We lived in the mountains, the dentist was in Winston-Salem, okay? I said, just ignore me. Okay, gotcha, right? Go to the dentist. Later that day, I wake up on my sofa in the mountains. thought, oh, cool, Wow. And I look over on the counter, and there they are in all their glory. Two whole golden chickens from Costco. (laughs) Now, immediately I knew what had happened because we don't have a Costco in the mountains, which means these beautiful birds of heaven had come from Winston-Salem. And who had been in Winston-Salem? Drunken myself and my friend Judas, who was driving. And so apparently what happened was I woke up and I heard about my day. Gone to Costco, went on a shopping spree, went and got food, went to some nature store and bought beetroot powder. (laughs) Who does that, right? Um, So he didn't listen. But I woke up to something that had already happened. And then as the story in my day was explained to me, my mind adjusted to what was true, right? This is what the gospel's like. Jesus comes, and I think it's just interesting, again, that like uh, we refer to Jesus as this thief in the night because he already came once like a thief in the night. He comes to humanity. They're missing it. He steals everything that was old nature, nails it to the cross, buries it in the grave, rises as a new creation, and no one knows that they've been robbed. And so we're still living in the old saggy pattern of our old self, thinking that it's based on worth, thinking that it's based on performance, thinking that the Father views me from some fragile enough lens that I could mess this up. But the gospel is not a conditional message. It's a positional message. It's a message that says, while you were sleeping in the brokenness of Adam, I came and I restored every single thing that is possible to restore. And all I want you to do now is repent. Change the way you think because you'll see it. And it will come flooding out of you, a river of life that doesn't just sustain you and get you out of survival mode. It will be life to those around us. Our thinking has to wake up. It has to catch up to what Jesus has done. A few more thoughts and we'll be done. Romans 12, 2, it says this. It's reiterating the fact. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Think of that beam again. 
the pattern of that thing that had been there for so long. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, change comes through thought life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, he's saying this to people who he's already proclaimed the vast truth to. You're already a new creation. But it's held hostage by the way that you think. Right? It's held hostage. There's nothing more frustrating, especially if you're a control freak. There's nothing more frustrating than knowing your potential but not being able to unlock it. You understand that your potential as a son or a daughter is unlimited. But it's frustrating for it to be held hostage by an old way of thinking that hasn't fully adjusted to Jesus. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Following Jesus in our thinking is Similar to this, if it doesn't adjust, we just go back to the old way. A good example would be uh, hearing the story of someone who won the lottery, right? Some people adjust well, but I think so many don't. And you read those news stories of someone won like, you know, the jackpot, and five years later, they're just completely broke again. Why? Because you can change their position by adding something new, in that case, millions. But without changing the way you think, it's only a matter of time before the new takes on the pattern of the old. Yeah? So just because our position is fixed, it's my thinking that has to follow him into that space. I want to think about it the way that you do, Jesus. I want to feel the way that you feel about it. And that's a constant pursuit sometimes, but God's grace is there for it. I think a couple more thoughts on this beam is you know that that beam was carrying more weight than it was designed to and that's what I realized the beam was just too small for the house and long story short I just tore the whole thing out put a whole new one in that was twice as big and it's holding great today but the house was way too heavy for that beam and what's true is when we follow Jesus, we're not, we're not exchanging it for a heavier burden. Because you weren't designed to carry half the stuff you carry anyway. When you have a saggy beam in the way that you think, the way that you feel, your quality of life is being affected, it's evidence that your yoke isn't easy and your burden isn't light. And if his is, that means he's inviting you to follow him into a space in exchange for an old thing carrying way more than it was supposed to. He's saying, hey, just come do do it the way that I do it. That's what the invitation is. Come learn to do this the way that I do this. The way that I think is the truth, and the truth sets you free. But the weight of this house over time And again, the beam doesn't know because this is how quickly our thoughts can be shaped. It's little by little, unnoticed, these patterns are formed. And God wants to rewire those. That's what repentance says. He wants to change not just what we think. He wants to change how we think. Amen. A couple more verses. 
Um, Paul writes about this some. There's also a, a quote I want to throw in here if anybody's familiar with Caroline Leaf. Um, but it says, she says, thoughts are real, physical things that occupy mental real estate. Moment by moment, every day, you're changing the structure of your brain through thinking. When we hope, it is an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal direction. It's literally talking about the fact that your brain can physically and functionally be rewired by intentional thought life. Um, Paul's writing 2 Corinthians. Because one of the things we have to do, and I'll just leave it here for the morning um, in a practical sense. but And this gets tricky. But I think this is the space where if we train ourselves, um, we can we reach those places of autopilot where it's not just the Christian chore I do all day long, right? But it's super important to be intentional. And making sure that I have intentional thoughts and also intentional ways of thinking helps me rewire certain things. And here's how you know. If you have the privilege to be married, ask your other half because they'll tell you what you don't see. Some days I'm saggy. And I need her to point it out because I've gotten used to it over time. I don't even notice it. So I'm like, babe, uh, how am I doing? What's it like to be on the other side of me right now? And she's like, oh, you're saggy. And that's so, it's, it's priceless, right? Because it helps me see what I don't see and bring those spaces to Jesus and say, Jesus, how do you do this? Because that's what following Jesus is. It's bringing what you've known in exchange for what you don't and saying, Jesus, show me the way that you do this. Tell me how you think about it. And Paul's writing, he says this. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Meaning every thought that comes, I'm measuring it to the word of God over my life, the way that the Father views me. And if it's a situation, I'm measuring it to the word over the situation, the way the Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit views that situation. I, my, my goal is to know how do you see this, God? Because for me, I'm going to get discouraged enough. I'm going to get saggy enough. I'm going to be disappointed enough that I see the lame and it's just the lame. But Jesus never, ever was reduced to that place. There was always hope. There was always the miraculous. And there was always the anointing of God in the flesh. And that's what we need. I want to take every thought captive and measure it against what he thinks about it. Because that's how I'll follow him into that space. Another passage. Romans 8, 5. And I'm wrapping up, I promise. I know it's lunchtime. Romans 8, 5 through 6. He said, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set. On what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. He's telling you right here, the bridge is the mind. You have two options, the flesh or the spirit. But what determines whether the faucet is on is the way that you think. doesn't change your position as a son or a daughter doesn't change who you are in Jesus, but it changes how you function, right? It changes how you're living in the house. It changes the quality of life. And it's so important that our minds have a set position of thinking. In fact, this, this Greek word 
um, literally means to exercise the mind. So he's telling you right there, you've, you've got to like be intentional a little bit. Like exercise your mind to adjust to how the spirit thinks about things so that we don't just revert and sag back to the old way. And last one, having a set mind looks like this. Philippians 4.8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, whatever is pure and lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, and here it's such a simple line that we can overlook, but he says, think about such things. Think about those things. He's telling me where to fix your mind. Think about these things. Exercise your mind in this space. Intentionally go there. Or unintentionally, you'll end up somewhere else. Intentionally fix your heart. Fix your prayer life around Jesus. What do you think? What do you think in this space? Because if I'm following you, I don't want to just be where you are for some day. I want to be where you are consciously today. I want to know how you feel in my car ride. And this does not... Guys, you don't have to be ultra spiritual and, you know, God's got to tell you every move of life. That's, he, he trusts you in some spaces more than you realize. But he wants you to learn his pattern and his rhythm because it sets us free from carrying weight that exhausts us, that costs us, and leaves us in survival to give us life that is abundant, that's fruitful, and that's light. Amen? I'm going to pray for us and then... Robin will come. Father, I just thank you that your thoughts about me are unbroken and they're pure. God, that you see me in a way that I may never be able to comprehend. But God, I just pray over your church this morning, both in this room, those online, God, and other churches. God, I pray that we would be a generation that catches your thought life in ours. God, the way that you think and feel about us would not just be locked into some space, but it would come on us. And God, I just pray for um, anyone, God, this morning who feels like they maybe have some of that sag. And God, I just pray for your grace to not prop it up, but to replace it, to make all things new, God, that as we follow you, You exchange beauty for ashes. You exchange broken ways that exhaust us for new ways that liberate us. And we bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 